0: Good? Yeah! It's, it's Youth Takeover weekend. That's so exciting. What I love about Youth Takeover, we got youth all over the place serving in so many different capacities. Um, I've got a security team back there that are, are a bunch of youth, and they're, they look very tough, and they're keeping us safe. So it's awesome. I, I love it so much. Um, anyways, uh, Youth Takeover is one of those times where we can connect as, as a church family, uh, because we have different generations here, that's why at the beginning of service we had a game um, called Generation Gap, where we asked the older generation some younger generation questions and vice versa. And the hope for that um, is for us to understand and connect with the fact um, that even though we don't know much about each other's generations, a lot of times we're going to very going through very similar things. I was telling the last service that many of us as adults we have this uh, time or opportunity where. We probably have some sort of, um, uh, we're having a fight with our friends, right? Uh, because we all have friends. And I guarantee you that your teenager or a uh, youth that is near you today is struggling with friendships at some point. Because we all are, are struggling with very similar things, but we just have obviously very different context, right? And uh, today we're going to be talking about something that every single person in here um, needs to know how to do. Um, And if you looked at the bulletin when uh, you were handed it to you on the front door, at the front door, we entitled the sermon, The Promise of Rest. The Promise of Rest. And I'll tell you a little bit about myself. Um, I am one of those people who loves to be on the go. Just go, 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 go. Does anybody else like me just love to be on the go? Yeah. Um, In fact, when I get to a point in my life where I have a lull, I feel like something is wrong, and I'm sitting there at at my house, and and I'm looking at the wall trying to figure out what other things I should be doing. I'm always, I have a list, I got to check it twice, I got to check it off, I got to make sure that I do all the things that I'm supposed to be doing. And I think in our culture today, we, we are getting told that we need to be active all the time to contribute to society. Now, some of us in here, I I have to admit, some of us were like, man, I'm not like that. I'm not on the go. After this, please meet me in the lobby. I want to know how you do it because it doesn't make sense to me. But most of us, we have this idea that we need to always be contributing to society at some point. Let me tell you a story. About a couple weeks ago, I was sitting on a Tuesday night in my house. Now, being a youth pastor, most nights I'm, I'm busy. I'm hanging out with students, I'm hanging out with volunteers, or, or I'm, I'm doing something for the ministry. And I turned to one of my roommates and I said, man, it feels so weird to me that I am sitting down and not doing anything. And he turned to me and said, it's actually good. It's actually good that you're just sitting and resting, for some reason, I was, I was having guilt. I was having guilt that I wasn't doing anything. I was having guilt that I wasn't hanging out with students or doing something productive. And I think every single person in here, we're trying to work out this pendulum between working and resting. Working and resting. See, some of us, we really understand what it looks like and what it means to work. Right? We, we go to work every day. We work from 9 to, you know, let's be honest, 6 or 7. And because we have so much to do, and then we get home, and we, we say hello to our family, and then we eat, and then we sleep. And then the next day, the cycle goes around again. And then some, 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 other, some other of us, we're really good at resting. Right? We sleep in to like 11 or 10. You guys are like, I've never done that in my life. I don't remember the last time that happened. But we're good at that. We're good at resting. Sometimes it's borderline laziness, let's be honest. And we don't know how to shift the pendulum back to work. But continuously, our minds, we don't think about it, but our minds are consciously trying to figure out how to connect this whole work thing with rest. We get told all the time that we need a rest. So many people, our bosses tell us that, our spouses tell us that, books tell us that. I know I, I, I read these self-help books or books that make you, supposed to make you feel good about yourself. And I close the book and I don't. I f- think of all the things I need to do. <laughs> oh, I need to do this. I need to do this. I need to do this. Right? We're, we're consciously trying to figure out how to go between this work and rest thing. But here's the thing. The beginning of creation. Genesis 1. We see God created the sky, he created the earth, the waters, all those things. Then on the sixth day, he created man and woman, Adam and Eve. And on the sixth day, he saw that it was good. And that was beginning, the ending of the sixth day. Seventh day. We all know what happens on the seventh day. God rests. But I don't think we connect this point, what I'm about to share with you. God created man on the sixth day. On the seventh day, he rested. That means the very first 24 hours of man's existence was rest. The very first 24 hours of man's existence was rest. And I'll tell you, Bridgeway, we need to stop working to rest and work from rest. And it leads us to the fill in the blank that's on the app and also on the bulletin that was handed to you at the front door. His direction is found in authentic rest. His direction is found in authentic rest. And I know for some of us today, this, this idea of resting makes us feel uncomfortable. And others of us, it's very normal to us, so we know how to rest. But I truly believe we're going to be talking about a story today that tells us very specifically there is a promise and a gift. And that's called rest. So let's dive into the word. If you have your Bibles, open up to 2 Samuel chapter 7. If you're reading from the Bibles that are underneath the seat in front of you, it's page 259. 259. Now last weekend, Pastor Matt did a phenomenal job of closing up our Zechariah series. And he asked us one crucial question. Who's your king? He landed on this Zechariah 14.9 passage. Now, that's something that's significant to me, but also all of HSM, because Zechariah 14.9 is our theme passage for our ministry. In fact, we have a neon sign downstairs in our room that says Zechariah 14.9. One uh, shameless plug for a second. We just remodeled our youth room, and we just revealed it this last week. It looks awesome in there. So if you want to go downstairs to the basement, it's not scary. It's really nice. And check it out. It's super cool. Anyways, shameless plug is done. Um, So our theme verse in Zechariah 49. who's your king? We created shirts this last year. You might, might have seen some of our leaders and students wearing them today. But it says on the shirt, who's your king? And that's a question that Pastor Matt was asking us last weekend. And it's a question that that we should be able to answer. Yeah, a lot of us will say, yeah, God's my king. But our decisions don't reflect that. Our work, social media, so many other things become our king because we care more about their opinion of us rather than God's. And we see this idea of king all throughout the Old Testament. You see, back when... Moses and God took the Israelites out of Egypt. Moses went up to Mount Sinai and they were having a little chat, and then as soon as Moses came down, the Israelites were worshiping a golden calf. It's terrible. Bad story. And this started a cycle that we see throughout the Old Testament in, in judges and kings and chronicles and all those, those stories, where, where first, the Israelites, they fall into sin. And then, at some point, they get into slavery or exile. And then they do what any other child would do. They cry out to their God saying, God, please help us. Please. That's what they sounded like. And so God, being kind-hearted, he sends a judge to come and deliver them from their fate. But as soon as that happens, they sin once again. And then the cycle goes around and around. I tell our high schoolers the cycle is very simple sin, slavery, sorrow, salvation. Sin, slavery, sorrow, salvation. Until one day they had enough of it. And in first Samuel, the beginning of 1 Samuel, they go up, the Israelites go up to Samuel, the prophet of God, and say, Samuel, we need a king. All the other nations in the world have a king. Why doesn't Israel? And Samuel's like, you do have a king. He's God. And they're like, no, we need like a physical king. We need a king that we can like, you know, high five and handshake and like all that stuff. And Samuel's like, this is not going to work out, guys. And Israel's like, we don't care. We need a king. So Samuel goes up to God. He's like, God, you see the frustration I'm having right now? Like, what do I do? And God says, fine, give them a king. So, Samuel anoints this guy named Saul. And Saul first starts out to be a really great king. He really does. He does right in the eyes of the Lord. He follows what God has asked them to. But a little bit further into his reign, he starts making up his own decisions, he starts not listening to God. He, he starts saying, man, this is about me, me, me. Which is contrary to what the king's role was in the Old Testament. Because the king's role was to trust God with everything and trust that he was going to deliver them. And be obedient to his word. That was the role of the king, to trust God. And Saul didn't do that. So right in the midst of Saul kind of going downhill, we see this little guy named David. He goes into the battlefield to give his brothers food. And then he notices the Philistine and the whole Philistine army across the valley. And then there's one guy that's a little bit taller than everybody else. And he finds out that this guy named Goliath is challenging everybody. He's like, look, I can defeat all y'all. And David's like, I got this. He goes out there, right? With, we all know what happens. Gets rocks, a sling. <laughs> Just like that. Happened that quickly too. But David defeats Goliath. And everyone finds out about David. They're like, David, it's cool. This guy, I want to follow this guy. He just defeated Goliath. That's so cool. Saul gets wind of this. Already not following what God's asked him to. He gets jealous. Makes David a fugitive. David starts running around Israel, hiding from Saul because Saul wants to kill him. And there's multiple times in this story in 1 Samuel where you see David and Saul being in the same place. One in specific story is where David and Saul are in this cave. And Saul decides to go to the bathroom. And David was in the same cave that he was going to the bathroom in. And David had a chance to kill him, but he didn't. Long story short, Saul dies and David takes his throne. And David instantly has battle after battle after battle to win because he has to gain his kingdom back because Saul lost part of the land. So he tries to get it back and he's battling and he's battling and he's battling. And God is delivering him and allowing him to win. So that's where we pick up the story in 2 Samuel chapter 7, which is one of the most important chapters in all of the Old Testament. In all the Old Testament, we're going to be talking about why that is here in a second. 2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 1 says this. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes when we sit down after a long day of work and we maybe put on the game or, or watch something, we can't help but seeing, see all the things that are wrong with our home. There's a big, huge hole in the living room we need to fix. Uh, we need to paint that blue because it matches better. We look in the backyard and there's hedges that need to be trimmed. We need to mow the lawn. It's hard for us to turn off our brain, right? And David Coming home from battle, sits on his throne in his house that is humongous, and he looks over into another part of Israel and sees that God's house, the person who delivered them from the Philistines, who has allowed him to win battles, is living in a tent. The God who's delivered them from everything is living in a tent. And David's like, nah, that can't work out. This is my God. I, I gotta fix that. He's ready to build a temple for God. He's ready. He's so excited to do it. He's he's doing what any other self-respecting king would do. He would take time to build God a house. And here's the thing about building something. The fact that David knew and wanted to build a house for the Lord, he had in his mind that construction always takes longer than we expect it to. I don't know about you, but if you've ever had any projects anywhere in your life, they say it's going to be done in January, and July comes around, and they haven't even done half of it. Right? Isn't that how it works? There's always problems with construction. (laughs) (laughs) But David's like, you know what? I'm willing to commit to this because I know I have found rest and peace in this time. And that begs the question, where does this rest come from? It says very clearly in in verse 1 of this chapter, the Lord had given him rest. All throughout the Old Testament, we see this picture of rest being a gift. Deuteronomy, three times, in the book of Deuteronomy, we see three times it's saying, after the Lord gives you rest, you can do what you want to do. After the Lord gives you rest, you can do what you want to do. I'm the type of person where, I work, work, work so I can rest. I feel weird if I don't get all my things done on my list before I rest. I remember when I was in high school and even college and even now where it's hard for me to go hang out with friends if I know in the back of my head I have a paper to write. I know that's not normal. <laughs> in fact, I was, I'm glad I had that work, work ethic. But some of us, we, we have the same idea where our mind is always wrestling. My dad is one of those people who does not know how to rest. I can say that because he's not in here. <laughs> he doesn't. And sometimes when he gets home, I have to tell him, hey, don't worry about that stuff. You've worked a long day. Let's, let's enjoy one another's company. But God here in 1 Samuel and Deuteronomy and, and so many other passages in Scripture Tells us that God is giving us rest, and here today, Bridgeway, I know that God is inviting you into this authentic rest, because His direction is found in authentic rest. I'm going to keep hitting that home. So let's see what else happens in this story. Second Samuel chapter seven verse four. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. <laughs> Have you ever had a dream? You're like, man, I'm going to go do this. And then you go to sleep that night and you dream about that. And you're like, man, this is how I'm going I'm to do this. And then i got to do this. It's going to be so awesome, right? God doesn't even allow David to sleep a full night before he starts communicating to his prophet Nathan that this is not what God wants. This is not what he's asking him to do. So what does God say? Verse 5, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house? To dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent from my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges or leaders of Israel? Whom I commanded to shepherd my people? Saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? You see, now we're seeing a conversation between God and David. David. And this conversation is crucial because this monologue or dialogue from God is the longest passage of God speaking to a man since Moses. Hundreds of years earlier, we see God speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai and having a very long monologue. God doesn't do that again to another man until here, right here to David, which makes this passage even more significant. And he's calling David, my servant, my servant, David. What that pretty much means, he's saying, look, you're in the wrong here, bud, but I love you. Your title as king is not being threatened. I know who you are to me. I, I, I'm your God. I'm your king. I, I know who I'm talking to. You're, you're my servant, so don't worry about it. But still, here's the thing. God's like, if my house or my temple is going to be built, don't you think I'm going to say when it's going to be built? where it's going to be built, who's going to build it, it, and how long it's going to take. I know some of us were like, yeah, that makes sense. That, That works. But we don't necessarily think that way. Here's the thing that we need to understand, even in our own lives, is that kingdom building is initiated by God. Kingdom building is initiated by God. God's asking David the question, Look, buddy, who's in charge here? Are you or am I? Who's making the decisions? You or me? In all my years in youth ministry, I've seen so many times a teenager go out and do something the parents don't want them to do. It happens a lot. How many of you would agree? Yeah, that's happened to my child at some point in their life. They have gone and done something. Okay, so you're a little nervous. know? happens a lot. They go and hang out with friends or go do something they shouldn't or something like that without ever consulting you guys as their parents. And it's frustrating. It's annoying. You're like, man, if you just talked to us beforehand, you would not fall into this situation, right? But they don't listen. Sometimes they do. But that's how we are with God so many times. We go and make decisions, pretty important decisions, without even talking to him about it. We have no idea if he's even with us. In fact, we go make a decision and we're like, God, please bless this. Okay. God, I really think this is what you're saying. Okay. That's how, that's how we communicate with him. See, when I was a freshman over at Jessup, that's where I did my undergrad, I the first week of school, I, I declared um, a major in, in music. Because, because I'm a drummer and I love music, it's a huge part of my life. It's something that... Um, I just really love to do is to play music. I'm a drummer. And so I'm like, I'm going to be a musician. I'm going to tour the world. I'm going to be famous. It's going to be awesome. Can't wait. Let's do this. So I, wa- I walk into the first class, music theory, and I you know, got my backpack on, looking all cool. And I sit down in the back, and the professor starts writing on the board these words I've never seen before, just about music theory. And he's saying words like, hey, this is a the basics of mu- music theory, before we say anything, you need to know what this is. If you don't know what this is, you're, you're really behind, go figure it out, all this stuff. And I'm sitting in the back like, I've never seen that before in my life. I'm just a drummer. Drum music is like the easiest thing to read. What's, what's all these dots and measures and all that stuff? I don't know what that is. So I get, I get back to my dorm and I talk to my, my, my roommates and like, hey, do you know, do you know what this is? And they're like, no, <laughs> aren't you a music major? <laughs> it's for you, dude. <laughs> so then the next, the week went on and I kept going to classes and, and, and whatnot and I realized I had no idea what I was doing. And so, defeatedly, I went up to the registrar's office and I'm like, I'm not a music major anymore. And I felt like a failure, it was the worst. A Couple months later, I, I told myself, I'm like, look, all right, I undeclared music, that was a bummer. Got out of those classes, but I still need to do music. It's something that I love to do. And so I went up to the worship director for Jessup Chapel, and I'm like, hey, man, can I, can I play drums for chapel? And he's like, totally, man. Like, you can do that. So he told me to have a tryout. Now, I wouldn't say that I'm the best drummer in the world. Um, there's some people, there, there's somebody I know that used to play drums. He had long hair and used to be in a metal band. Uh, back when he was younger, he was probably one of the best drummers I've known in his, in his A game. Um, but, that was Pastor Lance. Um, but, I'm okay. But I'll tell you what, this, this tryout that I had was probably the worst time, one of the worst times I've ever played drums. I played the song Oceans, and still to this day, I cannot hear it right. Like, I just, it doesn't make sense to me. And it, cring- it makes me cringe every time. And so I didn't do very well at this tryout. So, shockingly, I did not get the drum position. And I went back to my dorm room and I was like, what the heck, man? Th- this is what I want to do. Not only did I undeclare from music, but also I can't dr- drum for chapel. Like, what's the point? But here's the issue that I was running into, and the same thing that David was running into here when he's trying to build God's house is we were both going, 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 and we weren't able to pause to see if that's even what God wanted. We weren't resting and pausing because his direction is found in authentic rest. You see, as soon as I undeclared from music and stopped playing drums and stopped focusing on an idea that wasn't right for me at that time, I was able to see clearly what God had for me. That's when God called me in youth ministry. That's when God allowed me to grow in my leadership potential. Because with rest comes clarity. And when we have clarity, we can act with intention. Because that's what we want to do. We want to act with intention, but we don't want to do the work to get there. <laughs> but the work of it is resting. Some of you may ask the question, okay, I, I get what we're talking about. But practically, why did David, why wasn't it good for him to build the temple? And, and two quick things. One, he was a warrior. Because he was a warrior, he was busy all the time. He was always going out to the battlefield to win battles. And that kind of was his role. And the second thing, since he was a a warrior, it would be slightly inappropriate for a warrior to build something so clean and so pure. See, the Lord never required a house of cedar yet. So David doesn't need to worry about it. God's telling David, hey, chill out, dude. Chill out. any Anytime somebody tells me to chill out, I get so upset. Dude, calm down. Don't tell me to calm down. <laughs> it makes us uncomfortable. It's not, it doesn't dip, like, compute to our brains. But that's what God is telling David, and I believe what he's telling us today. I was praying this morning, and, and you guys were on my heart, of course, and God was telling me that this idea of rest. For some of us, we're really good at it. For others, we're not. But it's something not only we need to be reminded about, but we need to start implementing in our lives. Let's see what else God says to David. Verse verse 8, now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went. And I have cut off all your enemies from before you or given you rest. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and one plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. This conversation I... I picture God and, and David going to a coffee shop. Grabbing their drip coffee or pour over or whatever they want to grab. And they sit down in their comfy couches and they're looking at each other and God looks at David just like he's looking at you in the eyes and he says this. He says, "Look, I've been there from the beginning. I've been there when you messed up. I've been there when you you've succeeded." I was there when I called you to go into whatever work you are in right now. I've been there with you every step of the way and I've blessed you. And I'm not going to stop that blessing there. And God starts communicating this this promise to David that will change David's life forever. And will change David's line forever. Forever. He's talking about how David is going to be given a great name, which echoes the covenant that God had with Abraham back in Genesis chapter 15, where God goes up to this old old man named Abraham and says, look, your name and your people are going to bless many people through your line. I'm going to be able to do my work. He makes the same covenant with David here in 2 Samuel chapter 7, saying, look, David, your name is going to be great. Anytime I read something like that, you see that all throughout Old Testament. I'm always asking the question, why is that there? Why is your name being great so important? So I did a little bit more research, and I I found out that a great name was associated with your kingdom. So just like Assyria, Babylon, Greece, and all those other nations at the time had a name, the Davidic kingdom was going to be just a little bit different. In fact, God was going to give the Davidic kingdom just a little bit more blessing. God was actually going to allow the Davidic kingdom to start and never end. On the flip side of things, A lot of us, we try to do our own thing to make our names great. I think back to a story in Genesis chapter 11 where there's a group of people that come together and they say, Hey, let's build a tower so that we can be closer to the gods, so that we can communicate to them, so that we can make our name great. If you know that story, God comes down, he confuses their languages, and they all run around confused. Because their aim was to make their name great. And if our primary motivation in acting and doing the things that we do is to make our name great, we will never succeed. This cannot be our identity and what we are doing. Because it's going to mess up so many different things in our lives. And I think a lot of us, we look up to people who are better at something than us. Right? We look at celebrities or professional athletes and we say, man, they're really good at this one thing. I wish I could be like them. But even when we do that, we don't realize that every person is not perfect in every way. I think of someone like John Mayer. Right? The guy is a fantastic musician. He's brilliant. But he isn't the greatest guy. He's not very nice, from what I hear. Muhammad Ali, right? One of the best boxers ever. He also was not a very good guy. Gordon Ramsay, the best chef ever. I watch his shows and I have to eat while I watch them or I get really hungry. It doesn't matter what time of day it is, I always get hungry when I watch Gordon Ramsay. But we can tell very obviously he doesn't know how to communicate effectively sometimes. We'll put it that way. Another guy I think of is LeBron James, right? One of the best basketball players that this world has ever seen. But he's not good at everything. I mean, come on, look at his hairline, right? Oh, yeah. We try to be good at everything. We try to be like somebody else who's perfect, but they're not even perfect. And from this moment on, God is communicating to David... That he's going to complete his dynasty. He's going to complete his kingship. God's not going to allow the same destruction that happened in Judges. And in fact, David and his line are presented as the true successors of the Judges. Who are going to bring lasting rest to God's people. That reality is huge. Because at this point in time, no other king has ever done that. There's no other king of Israel that has actually given people complete and utter rest. That's exciting. So again, what direction is God giving you as you rest before him? Let's move on. Verse 11, second part of 11. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house... Verse 15, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as, it t- as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established in accordance with all these words, in accordance with his vision. Nathan spoke to David. You see, God's work in our lives is a promise. I think a lot of us, we... We picture God, potentially, if you're like me, sometimes we pic- picture God up in heaven and he's looking down on creation, asking the question of, oh, I wonder what's going to happen next. Oh, what decision are they going to make? Huh, should I be a part of that? Nah. Actually, it's, it's quite opposite. God is sitting up there on his throne, smiling down on his creation, on his people, saying, I want to be a part I want to be there. I want to help them get to the point where they're living in authentic rest. I want to help them see what I see. That's who our God is, because He delights in us and He loves us. You see, after David dies, God is communicating to him that once he's gone, his line's going to continue. His son Solomon is going to be blessed, great things are going to happen. Through Solomon. God will not abandon David like he abandoned Saul. And David's kingship will last forever. Forever and ever. Picture this for a second. You you go up to God. And you say, God, I'm going to build you a house. And then his response confuses you. Because his response was... Uh, I'm alright, but I'm actually going to build you a house, and your house is going to last forever. Man, if God told me that, I'd be wrecked. That's crazy. That's nuts. In the next few verses in this chapter, we see David exclaiming how great God is. And it reminds me of, of the response Peter gave to Jesus in the New Testament. When Jesus walks into the room with the disciples and he says, hey, guys, I'm going to wash your feet. And Peter pipes up, typical Peter. He goes, no, Lord, I should be washing your feet. Don't touch my dirty feet. I have sandals on. It's dirt. It's gross. But Jesus, his response is so funny. He looks at Peter and he's like, all right, fine. If you won't let me do this, then you have no part of me. And Peter's like, okay, wash my head, wash my arms, wash every inch of me, because I want to be a part of you. And David first, in this passage in 2 Samuel 7, we see David being like, God, I, I, I think I should be building you a house. And God's like, mm, that's not really my plan. My plan is to build you a house that's going to last forever. And David's response is, Oh, hallelujah, praise, praise God, you're so great, you're all-knowing, there is no one like you. And David's response is beautiful. And he ends it in, at the end of chapter 7 in verse, uh, verses 28 and 29. David is talking to God, saying this, And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant, so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. See, David is learning this premise of receiving this gift of rest from God. David finally learns that he understands this point where God's like, look, I'm going to give this to you. Stop working for it. This is something that I've already destined for you to have. So receive it. And David's like, oh, thank you for, b- for blessing your servant. Thank you for giving this to your servant. And here's the reality to our context today. Here's what I think. God created us, designed us to be Productive. Look back to Genesis 1. What does he tell Adam and Eve? I will give you dominion over everything. You are in control of everything. That means they got to do work. But here's what we've done to that reality. We have built our identities around our activities. That's what we have done. And so whatever we work for or or do is our identity. How well we do whatever we do is our identity. Every time we mess up, that is our identity. But in the beginning of time, God gave us a precedent that we need to be working from rest, not working to rest. But we don't get that. It doesn't compute. It doesn't make sense. So what's the point? There is no way there's no way that David would have understood the direction from God if he did not rest. Like I said earlier, 2 Samuel 7 is one of the most important chapters in all of Scripture because it lines out the future. It says how, how crucial David's line is going to be, how he's going to bless David's line. And one day this guy named Jesus is going to come and live on this earth and he's going to be from the line of David Because of this conversation that God had with David. It would not have ever happened if David was too busy doing his thing. But because he took a second to rest and to sit and do what God had asked him to do, he was able to receive direction because his direction is found in authentic rest, you guys. It is. And God is inviting us into this rest. He's saying, Come. I know you have a lot going on. I know there's things that are stressing you out. I know there are things that are bothering you, but let me tell you I've got something for you. I've got direction. So here's my question for you What is God saying to you? Are you able to even listen to Him? Have you been too busy lately? Spend time. How, are, how do you rest? It's a simple question. Some of us who are introverts. We have to close the door and be around no one. And, there, and then there's the weirdos of the world who are extroverts and love to be around people. It makes no sense to me. But we all rest differently. Sometimes it's with friends. Sometimes it's with our spouse. Sometimes it's with our family. How do you rest? And is that rest authentic? You see, David did not understand the importance of resting until he noticed what came from it. So here's what I believe today. That God has something for you. Something that's really important to me is when we talk about something so practical like rest... And we talk about, hey, we need to do this, we need to do this, we need to do this. I think it's crucial that we actually practice it. So here in a second, I'm going to have you guys close your eyes. And I'm going to, I have some words for you. Now, as, as you close your eyes, you can do a couple different things. One, listen to what I have to say. Or two, if you're tired and just want to sleep, praise the Lord. That's totally fine. I was telling the first service that I think it's okay when we fall asleep in God's presence because it's like when you hold a baby, right, and it like falls asleep in your arms and you're like, oh, right? It's the same way when we're talking to God and we fall asleep, God's like, oh, don't worry about it. Why don't you close your eyes? As you are closing your eyes, I want you to pay attention to your breathing as you breathe in and as you breathe out. Try your best to quiet your mind. I believe some of you in here As you went to bed last night, you were tossing and turning, couldn't sleep, something was on your mind. It was a text message you got about 20 minutes before you went to bed and it just made you wrestle. So you didn't have very good sleep last night. You woke up this morning debating even coming to church because you wouldn't be able to focus. God's telling you today that it doesn't matter where you're at, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, He still wants to spend time with you. He wants to be right there with you. Some of you in here today, when we're talking about this idea of rest, you're getting uncomfortable. You don't like it, it makes you feel weird. But God's going to bring you breakthrough. It's going to bring you breakthrough when you start learning how to rest authentically. That's crucial to getting direction. We're going to s- stay here for a moment. Just keep your eyes closed. I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit. It's probably communicating to you about something in your life. I know this sounds slightly weird, but I think the Lord has someone in here who is debating on changing their eating habits. This is God telling you that you need to. You need to give your body rest with the food that you give it. Okay, you can open up your eyes. I believe some of you in here today, you've been wrestling with this idea of rest for a while. Maybe you, you're really good at it, but you don't know what authentic rest means. And what we just experienced is a taste of what authentic rest is. When we are sitting in his presence and just releasing and allowing him to take control so that we can trust him is how Authentic rest works. Can I have the prayer team come on up here? And if you're here today and you, you want to help, you want to get help. You want to seek direction in your life and maybe it's the starting point is authentic rest. This prayer team is up here trained to pray for you and with you. We're family here. We're struggling with this idea together. You're not alone in any of this. And I believe that God has something for you today. Some of you received it just now, but I believe there's more. And when there's more, there's more. And when there's more, there's more because God is infinitely awesome and great and omniscient, omnipresent, all the omnis. There's all of them. That's who God is. And that's who the God I'm about to pray to, and thank for what he's doing in this place. So God, we thank you for this story. God, where we see a man who is after your own heart as an example of what it looks like to have authentic rest. But God, some of us, it's uncomfortable to have authentic rest. And some of us, it's, we're resting, but maybe not in the best ways, Father. Father. And God, it's so comforting to know that you're not condemning us, but you're inviting us into this opportunity that you have. Father, I just pray over my friends, give them peace, give them rest. God, give them thoughts that stop when they lay their heads down at night. God, as we go into this season of school and things get more stressful and stressful and stressful, God, I just pray that you give us even more intention spending time in your word, more intention, spending time in your presence so that when we go and do these a million things that we have to do as adults, we can do them with joy, we can do them with power, we can step in confidence knowing that you are with us right beside us. God, I pray a blessing over these people today. I ask for you to have your way in an amazing, powerful way that only you know how. God, give them rest that they don't even understand it. God, help them sleep tonight the best they've slept in months, nay, years, so that tomorrow they can wake up on a Monday and be prepared for what you have for them. God, we love you. We trust you. In your name we pray. Amen.